Good morning, folks. That was fun to hear all the different aspects of the children's ministry. And it uh, gives us a appreciation for all those that work so hard to make that happen and for our children to grow up getting a good understanding of the Word of God from a very young age. We are continuing today in the Philippians series. And today our message is called Paul's Plea. So let me just review basic uh, the last couple of weeks. I know it's been summer and folks have been away, coming and going, and for any of you that might have missed it or that have a short memory like I do, mine's very good, it's just short, um, I will give you a basic outline could we possibly get the TV back there going? It's, if it's uh, just to click it on, that would be wonderful. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll start with the two weeks ago and remind you of a message that we had from Les uh, where we talked about the community and the blessing of being in Christian community. And it thrills us to be seeing the community sort of coming back together after the summer. So in the, in the community, we are like an outpost of heaven. And it's a fun imagery to think of the city of Philippi that was like an outpost of Rome. It ran under Roman law. It had Roman leadership, but it was, in fact, far removed. So... You and I that know and follow Jesus, we are in a community of believers, and that community called Koinonia, or Koinonia, depending on how you say your Greek, um, is actually referred to frequently in the New Testament, and it speaks of this community together. He spoke about this word, cruciformity, and some of you will remember, I actually shared that I was thinking like, yeah, I know that word. And is that like a Christian word that we just use in uh, like sort of that we've put together as Christians? And then you actually look it up and it's a legit Scrabble word. You can use cruciform. But what it really means is in the form of a cross. And when you think about it, that is what God has called us to as Christians, that we follow a crucified Savior. And our life is one of conforming to or following after or being like our crucified Savior. And it also calls on us to pick up our cross and follow him. And then we spoke of, uh, Les spoke about joy. I wanted to make them all C's, so I put comfort and joy. But basically how joy is part of and a key part of what we are um, given as believers, as those that are part of this community, and that's repeated over and over again. It is a family characteristic. Then last week, we talked about attitude and perspective, and we were amazed as we read, as Paul described his current situation and what was actually going on, that he saw everything in light of eternity. He saw everything in light of his purpose for being here. 
So it wasn't a poor me kind of mentality. It was rather a looking at all that's happening to me is happening in order that the gospel can, be, can go out, in order that it can, that it can be spread, that the, that the Christians there will be more bold in their faith. He was taking everything, sort of all the stuff that was happening to him, like being back in prison, and he was seeing it as, in fact, something that was for good, something that was for the glory of God. And so we've, we learned last week that attitude, our attitude, is largely dependent on our perspective. So as we are seeing things from God's perspective, then, in fact, it, it helps us to have the right attitude. And so, as Paul said there, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Today, we're now going to go on and talk about the next section, and I have entitled this, Humility is the Key to Unity. So, this word, humility. In the Brethren churches that I grew up in, we had this practice, and it was sort of to be humble, where when anything was written, it, the, instead of having the author at the bottom, we would just have the initials. And so it, it, was, it was sort of this thing about not actually putting your name, you would just put your initials. But it was sort of a twist on humility, because if you really did a lot of writing, and if you were read a lot, then people got to know your initials. So it was kind of cool if, you know, your initials actually meant something. And for those of us that grew up in this, if I were to mention initials like JND, then people that grew up in this circle would know, ah, yes, that's John Nelson Darby. And his writings would be something that you'd sort of, anyway, but you wouldn't see John Nelson Darby anyway, you'd just say JND. So, roll forward, and there was a great guy, he's with the Lord now, but in the church that Katie grew up in, my dear wife, and his name was Ted Markwood, and Ted Markwood had a great sense of humor. So, on this subject of humility, he talked about the book he was going to write, and the book was going to be called Humility and How I Attained It by T.M. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's an elusive thing. As if, you, if we think we are humble, then we know we're not, right? It's like you, you, you kind of go like, okay, how do you deal with this? But let's look at what um, the Lord teaches us uh, through this, uh, this uh, portion we have today and how it is really the key to unity and unity is so close to the heart of God. So we have to go to, to talk about unity we have to go to the Lord praying to his Father in John 17. This is probably the most intimate, it, it feels like holy ground to those of us that know and follow Jesus, that we even have John 17 in our Bibles. Because this chapter is the prayer between Jesus, or from Jesus, to his Father before he goes to the cross. And it feels like it shouldn't even be there. It feels like we're kind of reading somebody's journal. You know, it's like, you sort of go like, no, this is not. But God has allowed us to actually hear the words of Jesus as he speaks to his Father 
in, as he's anticipating the cross. But listen to what he prays for us. He says, as he's praying to the Father, he says, I'm not praying only for these disciples, meaning the 12 that were with him and maybe others that were following him at that time, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and I, brothers and sisters. So he is here praying for you. He's praying for us as RBC today. And this is what he's praying. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I in them, and I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Isn't that amazing? You feel the heart of the Lord saying, I want them to be one. And like the same unity, Father, that I enjoy with you, I want them to enjoy together. And wow, if they enjoy that kind of unity together, then the world is going to see this and they are going to believe. That is the heart of Jesus. So keep that in mind. Hear that prayer over what we are talking about today. Now we go to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. As we continue through the book of Philippians, so we're going to the end of the, the last few verses of the first chapter and then into the second chapter. And this is what it says. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So, this is the... It, it's, it's almost like a... Um, it's like Paul had read John 17, and now he's praying it in his way, or he's wishing for it in his way, in his words, but that same unity. He is specifically looking for these three outcomes. He wants to, them to conduct themselves. I wanted to make them all S's here. So I said, show yourselves, which is actually more what it says in like the King James or some of the older versions, but get the feeling of we, we want to conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And in order to do that, we need to be united. In order to be united, we are going to learn that we need to be humble. We need to stand firm in the one spirit and we need to strive together as one for the faith of the gospel. So everything that Paul is going to talk to us about now, it, this is the desired outcome. He wants us to be doing these three things. Conducting ourselves in a worthy manner of the gospel of Christ, standing firm, and striving together in unity for the faith of the gospel. So, now we go to verse 28. Verse 28 says, Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. 
For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So, what Paul is giving us here is that in this desired outcome, or on the journey to this, there is often fear that sets us back. And we lose our perspective, which is what we learned about last week. So Paul is reminding us one more time, keep your perspective, keep in focus. Remember, you win, they lose. You ever been to a sports game where you already know your team wins, the other one loses? You can hope that. But oftentimes it doesn't work out. Here, you and I as Christians, we know we're on the winning side. We know we win. We know it has been declared. We'll have it in our next chapter. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's already decided. That's already declared. So you and I are on the winning side. So when you find yourself in a situation as you're wanting to live out that faith, as we strive together for the gospel, and we feel that the world is coming at us, and we feel like there's so much stuff, it's hard to stand. Keep perspective, brothers and sisters. Remember, we win. That's already declared. In this journey, we need to reach out, though, to those that are lost. If there's someone here today, and you don't actually know Jesus as your Savior, this is good news and bad news. The bad news is, there is judgment. You know, in, in our society these days, we want just like everyone to win. Everyone gets a prize. Everyone passes. Everyone, whatever. We're kind of in that sort of mode as a society. God doesn't work that way. The, uh, the concept of universal salvation, that just everybody ends up getting saved... That's not biblical. In scripture, you need to make a personal decision to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. When you do that, then you become one of God's children. You become part of his family. And then your eternity is secure with Christ. But that's a personal decision that each of us need to make. And this is not an everybody wins message. There is judgment, and we need to be clear on that in our own hearts and in our testimony. And in keeping with that, I need to say to you today in, in, in preaching this message that if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you need him. You need to receive him as your Savior. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. Sin needs judgment. Jesus died for us so that we could be saved, but it is now a matter of personal receiving him as Savior and Lord in order for you to be saved. What we find when we do come in, when we receive Christ as our Savior, is that even the faith to believe is a gift. Notice that we are granted that faith. We are given it. And along with that is also suffering. 
It's amazing, the suffering part. None of us go after it naturally, but suffering is a part of the development of our character. It is part of what the Lord does as he matures us, as he, as he works in us. I think I've referred to it here, but I once heard at one of our grandchildren's baptisms, um, I heard a pastor praying, and he was say, praying it very sincerely, and I don't mean to critique the pastor, but he was basically praying, Lord, give all these children, uh, make them all like you, Jesus, and give them all wonderful, beautiful lives with no trouble. And I was listening to him and sort of chuckling and going, I could picture the Lord saying, Pastor, I can do one or the other, but I can't do both. If I, in fact, am going to make them like Jesus, then there is going to be suffering. There is going to be difficulty. That's how he molds us and forms us. So let's go on now to chapter 2 and to the key part of this message and of this book. This is, like, this is like the hinge part of this book. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and mind, or of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. I want you to picture a family and the values that this, is, uh, this conveys here. They are, we are, we are one. We are one family. But picture this, these, and just think of these family values. Comfort, love, sharing, one spirit, like-minded, same love, one in spirit, one mind. It's fun to think about different families here in RBC and how there are different characteristics of different families. And there are things that just shine out when you think about a family. We could even do a little test here. It could be fun. If I was to call out the name of a certain family and then asked people, just say words that describe that family. For those of us, I know for some of you that are newer here, you'll have to just listen to this. But that's okay. You're getting an introduction to the family. The family at RBC and the family that... You, you are becoming a part of and being here. So, let me just pick on, let me see here. If I was to say the McCarg family, he just knew. Steve was just looking at me going, he knew it was coming. Okay, so shout out a few words that make, when I say McCarg family, what are some words that you think of? Adventure. Adventure. Commitment. Commitment. Faithful. What else? Love. Love. I heard someone say love over there. Did you? I didn't hear it. <laughs> so there you go. There's one family. Okay? Let's, let's pick another family. Let's say that we were to pick um, Borgia family. Denis and Martha and 
Marie and Sarah and all these guys. What, what, what are the words that come to mind for this family? Hospitable. Hospitable. Love kids. Humility. Friendly. Faithful. Hospitality. All right, listen to these words. Isn't that amazing? We'll take one more. We, 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 we gotta, I got to have a good Italian family here for just one more. So let's take the Fulco family. So I'm listening. Gifted. Fun, faithful, kind, faithful, committed. All right. Good food. Look at that. Yes. Musical, indeed. Yes. So you're getting the idea here, right? There are family characteristics, and it's a beautiful thing to see. You and I, brothers and sisters, are part of the family of God. And when you read through this, you picture a family reunion, and you say, okay, these are, th this family reunion is going to be amazing. We'll be encouraging one another, we'll be comforting, loving, sharing, have one spirit, like-minded, same love, one in spirit, one mind. You hear these, and you say, wow, that would be an amazing family reunion. <coughs> it would be great if it could just stop right there. But verse 3 takes us to the, it's the second half of this now, of this section. So on the next slide you see, I'm just going to read verse 3 and 4 again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each to the interest of others. Now, this is probably the best two verses in Scripture on humility. The pride comes first, so he sort of says the negative, don't be proud, which is not selfish ambition or vain conceit. But then he says this for humility. He says, think rather in humility, value others above yourselves. In the King James it says, think of others as better than yourselves. So as I have shared from this pulpit before, my mother caught me one time when I was a little guy, uh, speaking very teaching, my younger sister, the things of God, and uh, I was saying to her that this verse means that she should think of me as smarter than her. And uh, somehow my mother had to, I don't know, she got involved there and tried to straighten that out. Uh, so this is... I actually use this sometimes in um, meeting settings in a secular environment and sometimes also in a ministry environment where a bunch of us are coming together and you can just tell there's, there's pent up energy. People want to express themselves. They want to talk. They want to go, right? And it's very interesting because there's a big difference when it comes to listening to waiting for the other person to stop talking so that you can talk, that's better than interrupting. So sort of, that's, you get some points for that. But as opposed to actually thinking in your head that the other person's idea may be a better one than yours. 
if we can actually think that way when we are in a meeting setting, then what will happen is we will actually listen. We will be actively listening because then we'll be thinking like, wait, I know I have an idea, but maybe, maybe Jesse's idea is better than my idea. Maybe Tanya's actually got something that is way better than what I was going to say. So I'm going to be quiet first and listen and actually hear. And that is a tremendous gift to develop, to practice in all aspects of life. It's so true in relationships in marriage, in relationships with children, in relationships in the workplace, everywhere. To get that, but core to it is humility. And that is esteeming others better than yourself. To make it practical, it is in fact thinking that the other person may have a better idea, a better thought, better something than you. Now, I like the Apostle Paul in that. He says that. He puts that out there. That's what humility really is. Humility is thinking of the other person as being better, smarter, uh, better idea, better than yourself. But then he says, don't look after only your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others as well. Or don't just look after yourself, but look out for others too. And I love this. It's like he says, here's the actual definition of humility. Think of others as better than yourselves. Then he sort of goes, ah, that'll never work. So at least, okay, think of others too, okay? So, it's, you know, so I sort of go, and it's funny, because he doesn't actually say that, but that's what my brain goes as I read this. I sort of go, it's like he's going, we're so proud naturally. The idea of actually thinking of others as better than ourselves is like, it's like way out there. It's like, so at least look out for each other's interests too. Then what he does is he, well, let me give you a C.S. Lewis definition, which is fascinating to think about. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And that's fascinating to actually think about. Um, C.S. Lewis was a pretty smart guy. Um, other people sometimes get credit for using this quote, but it's actually, from what I could research back, it's actually a C.S. Lewis uh, quote. So just, just let that mull in your head for a little bit. Is, you know, we tend to, the, the classic to show, if you're thinking you're okay, you're relatively humble, um, certainly that's my view in preaching this message, then, joking, if you think about a photo Okay, where somebody takes a bunch of photos at a family gathering or something and then is going to put one of them up on the wall and you get to look through them. The first person you look at to see whether they look okay in the photo is? Yourself. yourself. Yes. So that shows what actually is the problem, right? Yes. Okay. So Jesus gives us the amazing example now in Verse 5, it says, in our relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So he gives us this example now and this beautiful passage on the suffering of Christ, his dissension and his ascension is actually given to us in the context of a model for us in terms of how to live. And it's very interesting because we often speak, and rightly so, that what Jesus did for us on the cross, 
He did it for our salvation. It was the center of everything in God's plan. Jesus Christ laid down his life on Calvary's cross. He took the sins of all those who trust him upon himself. He bore the judgment for them so that we could go free. That was the greatest sacrifice, the greatest event in human history. And through it, our salvation has been accomplished. I even hesitate to say but. I sort of say, and in doing that, the Lord Jesus also modeled for us a life of sacrifice and a life of humility that we are called on to follow. And so in the setting here, he gives us this, but it's actually in the setting of teaching us to follow the example of Christ. So he says, who in being in very nature God, in verse 6, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. There are seven steps down that Jesus took here. He is God. Absolutely, completely, Jesus is God. He is the I am of the Old Testament. He is, Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is ever existing. Jesus is co-equal with God the Father. He is one of the triune, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in this journey to be our substitute on the cross, he made himself nothing. He took the nature of a servant. He was made in human likeness. He was found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. He became obedient to death and even death on a cross. And you and I are now called to cruciformity to follow a crucified Christ. And so, when God calls us to be humble and to lead humble lives, we have the ultimate example in our Savior. None of us can say, this is too much. None of us can really say, I can't go that far. We look at what Jesus, our Savior, did for us, and we are called to follow in his steps. Verse 9 it says, therefore, we were chatting about this earlier in the breaking of bread service that, that uh, is from 9 to 9.30 to 10.15. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. It's an amazing word because Jesus is already God. Jesus has all the glory, all the power, all the majesty. He is the great I am. There is nothing you can, it's like, for us, there's nothing you can add to that. It seems wrong to even say therefore, but it's in the word of God. Because he, he became the sin bearer, because he died on Calvary's cross, there is a new glory. There is an additional glory that belongs to the Lord Jesus. So it says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him that name that is above every name. 
For those of us that know and love Jesus, every time we hear Jesus' name despised, every time we hear it in cursing, every time we hear it ridiculed, every time we hear it mocked, we think of Philippians 2. God has given him that name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, you and I that know and love Jesus, we may disagree on all sorts of things. We've got all sorts of different ideas about exactly how end times are going to happen. I've got it all straight, and I can tell any of you later. <laughs> but what we do all agree on and acknowledge and love is that the Lord Jesus will be exalted. All right, next, next slide. Work it out. We end with this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in accordance or in order to fulfill his good purpose. There's a funny balance here, and it's great in this sort of so what slide, in, this, in this, these verses that say, okay, so now what do we do? He says, work it out. Make this real in your own life. Be this humble person that God has called you to be. Follow in the steps of the Lord Jesus. And in any measure that you do, guess what? It's God working in you. You get zero credit for it. Isn't that fun? It's amazing. It's these two sides. God calls us. He gives us this high calling to live this humble life. And then in the measure that we do, we find out it's not us anyway. It's God working in us to make us more and more like his beloved son. And then back to... Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Brothers and sisters, we also live in a warped and crooked generation. Most of what I have said here today makes no sense out in the crazy world in which we live. And you've got voices coming at you. We were praying for the students today. You've got voices coming at you this fall in class to try to argue against everything that I have said here this morning. And we need to hold on to the word of life. We need to be immersed in the word of God. We need to recognize it alone is the guide for our lives. And as we do that, we will shine as children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. So hang on to God's word. Read it, study it, follow it. Don't twist it, don't adapt it. Don't throw out some stuff because it doesn't fit the current culture. It is the word of God and it will stand. And then you and I can be like stars at night that shine in this dark, crooked world. That's what God has called us to. May we be faithful. So in closing, I will read the words of our Lord Jesus. And as, we, as I read this, consider it to be 
hear the Lord Jesus himself praying for you. He's speaking to his Father. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Amen.